0: The mano Papa Chango. It's nine thirty in the morning. Wednesday, February 21st in Topanga Canyon, California. This is going to be a quick intro because Cassie and I are leaving for a month on the road in Scarlett Jovanson As soon as we finish breakfast, I haven't even like taken a shower yet. I'm sitting here at my desk in my Uggs and my underwear. And the sun is shining and I recorded this uh, conversation last night here in my... Little hovel in Topanga with my best buddy Mike, who's sitting on the sofa over there listening to me right now. So I'm not going to get too um, uh, flowery in my praise of him because it'll go to his head. And he has a big old Charlie Brown fucking head as it is. So, um, <clears throat> This is uh, probably, uh, together with the Casilda episodes and maybe some of the Stanley episodes, this is about as close to home as I get on this podcast. I try not to make it about me. It's about the guest and about uh, the subject matter, of course. But sometimes, I know some of you at least are interested in where I came from and how it got to be the way it is. Um, and this will give you some insight into that because Mike has been around in my life since I was 15. We talk about how he, uh, introduced me to the wonders of marijuana and beer. And, uh, I think I taught him how to drive. Is that right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. I, I risked my young life, um, you know, taking him out to drive around and, uh, we also had, uh, there was an overlap in a love interest, which we didn't really get into last night. That's surprisingly, that didn't come up. Um, maybe, maybe a future episode, <laughs> maybe <not. laughs> or maybe not, because <laughs> I think uh, this is also a funny episode because I think both of us were conscious of the fact that uh, people we know are going to be listening to it. Um, primarily Mike's kids, I think, was the main uh, the main audience that was sort of hovering over the conversation. <laughs> so, and they're, I mean, they're young adults, they're 16 to 21, I think it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, so, uh, anyway, Mike, Mike Lang is his name, he's a fascinating dude, you'll hear. He grew up in a nexus of overlapping cultures and uh, history was very alive in his household in a way that it isn't for most uh, American kids growing up in Connecticut. Uh, And uh, his approach to life is sort of diametrically opposed to mine in many ways because of the very different trajectories that we were on uh, that go back to our parents and our grandparents and all that. Um, but you know we've always respected each other and um, respected each other's decisions and I think Mike would agree with me that it's been a wonderful friendship in the sense that um, those differing perspectives are very helpful when you really respect and love someone and know that they've got your best interests at heart you can take advantage of their insights in a way that uh, that you can't otherwise. You know, that you just look at someone whose life is different from yours and say, well, they don't know anything. They've got nothing to tell me. But in fact, they do. Um, especially if your sort of underlying approach to life is very similar. You know, like the very, very basic bedrock level. We're very similar, but then on the sort of intermediate levels, there are so many differences. I don't know if if that doesn't make sense to you. I think it will as you listen to the conversation. One of the jokes running through our lives was that, uh, that we were sort of like Spock and Kirk. If you are familiar with the original Star Trek series, you know, Kirk was sort of uh, flamboyant and reckless and lucky And Kirk was calculating, careful, uh, and without error. And the two of them made a really good combination because Spock would sort of come through and save Kirk when he went too far in his direction. And uh, Kirk would um, sort of provoke Spock into making crazy decisions that didn't add up logically but worked out in the end. So I think somehow there's some of that dynamic running through our relationship. Okay, housekeeping bullshit to tell you about. Uh, Well, not really much because I'm distracted and everything's already in the van. So I, I don't really know. I guess the main thing I wanted to talk about was the tangentially reading book. You may remember that was like a big issue and then it sort of faded away. I haven't mentioned it in a while. And that's for the following reason. They... Uh, the folks at Misfit did a fantastic job in putting together this, this beautiful book um, and it's got a lot of art from Adam McDade who listens to the podcast and he contributed his time and talent and uh, so there's a, a piece of art for each of the guests that's included in the book and it's not only a sketch of their face it's against um, a backdrop that's significant to them so for example but it's but it's like sort of um faded it's you you have to look to see what's going on so in the back of mine there are bonobos in a jungle on the back of casildas it's on a map of mozambique um so different guests have different things that are uh, significant to them i think they're like playing cards the game in the back of neil strauss um and so it's really beautiful art and the, the layout of the book, the pull quotes are in red and, and it's just really, uh, the the pages are beautiful. It's a work of art. Now what happened was we put that together and we did the pre-orders and shipped it out and it turned out the shipping was a lot more expensive than, than we thought. Uh, the folks at Misfit took a bit of a bath on that and um, so hopefully we're going to correct that with future sales and you know get them back to even at least um, and then we we uh, wanted to do it as um print on demand through the Amazon network so that it wouldn't cost 25 bucks to ship it to Australia I know a lot of you folks are in Australia or in Finland or all over the world and so we wanted to make sure that this was a worldwide kind of thing but those shipping costs are so prohibitive that nobody's going to pay, or very few people are going to pay 50 bucks for a, a paperback book, you know, that's being sent across the world. So um, Matt and the other folks at Misfit were looking into tr- how to resolve this situation. And essentially what we've come up with is that the Amazon print-on-demand system is great. The, the book comes out great, but it's grayscale. It doesn't have the coloring in the art in Adam's art, interior the cover is the same, but the interior art uh, is grayscale, and it still looks great. And if you haven't seen the colorized, the, the full color book, you won't even really notice that there's an issue. Um, but that's that's the situation now. If you're in Australia or you're in the UK or wherever there is an Amazon, you can go and order tangentially reading. It'll be roughly twenty dollars in, in your local currency. And it'll be shipped to you just like any other book from Amazon. So if you have Prime, it's free or whatever. Um, That's the Grayscale book. The full color book, we placed a big order. They're in my mom's garage and she will ship those out uh, as part of her t-shirt business that she's running out of her uh, garage. So if you're in the U.S., and you order tangentially reading from us. So go to uh, my website, go to the contact thing. Oh, geez, now I'm just realizing I haven't set up the website properly to do this. By the time you hear this, the website will be set up. Go to the store, you'll see order a copy of Tangentially Reading. My mom will send that to you in the U.S., uh, and I think the shipping's like yeah, $7 or something, $5. Um, that'll be listed there. For you, those of you outside of the U.S., either order the book through Amazon. You'll get the grayscale one. If you want the full-color one, you can order it on the website, but the shipping is going to be like 25 bucks, as I said, um, around the world. I think it's maybe 15 to Canada. So if you order on the website, you'll get the full-color book. If you order through Amazon, you'll get the Grayscale book. And also, they're working on an ebook, so that'll be available soon. I hope that wasn't too confusing. Uh, I'll talk about it next week. So <laughs> if you didn't catch that, don't worry about it. You'll get it in the next episode. All right, I'm going to take a shower, have some breakfast, and hit the road. I think the first night, we're going to be at the Salton Sea with my buddy Tal Ruspoli. And then we're heading to uh, Phoenix, Tucson, maybe down to Bisbee. I haven't heard back from uh, Doug Stanhope. I'd love to do a podcast with him. I don't know if he's going to be in town or not. But uh, we're going to head down and sort of cruise along the Rio Grande and uh, heading toward New Orleans. So I'll check in with you from the road next time. Hope things are going well with you. Thanks for listening. I'm going to play you out with a tune that Mike wrote in high school. What's this called, Mike? This is the the sonata for violin and the one I played yesterday. Oh, jeez, I don't remember the name. He doesn't remember what it's oh, called. It
1: was after a French poem. I, I don't remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's his interpretation of a of a French poem, which he probably read in French. The fucker, it's kind of guy he was, you know. All right, this is by Mike Lang, and then later I'm gonna play because we talked about the Chopinesque piece so later I'm going to interrupt the conversation and insert that Chopinesque piece that's also played written and performed by Mr. Mike Lang at 16 years of age. All right, we just looked this up. Uh it's called uh <laughs> It's in French. It's called Le <laughs> La douce solitude de Delama, de which means the sweet solitude of the soul. Ladies and gentlemen, mm, I've been drinking. I got to admit, this is, let's, let's get this out right at the beginning here. We had dinner tonight with Simon Rex. We went on a hike. Then we went out for dinner. We drank a bottle of wine. Then we came back, uh, drank a little more wine. And uh, my guest this evening is my best bestest friend, Mike Lang. Who taught me to drink beer in 19... When was that? 1978, probably.
1: Embarrassing.
0: Taught me to smoke weed in 1978, probably the same year. Oh, wait. wait, So your kids might listen to this. So we have to be all careful about what we
1: say. I I think they already know that. But yeah, you should probably be careful about some of the other stuff. What other stuff? (laughs) So I've known Mike since I was 15. All right? I was 15. You were 15. I was actually 14 14. the first time that that we ever saw each other. You had decided to move uh, ahead of your family at the very end of freshman year. You you guys had moved from Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania, to uh, Fairfield, Connecticut where I had grown up and at the end of uh, freshman year your your dad had moved out because his his job had already started and you decided to join him and the rest of the family hadn't moved out yet from what I understood so I
0: showed up in freshman year
1: for the last couple of like the last week or two of the academic year yeah and you sat at the very back of the class kind of lying back in your chair trying to hide a little bit. You were you were intimidated, but you were... I, I, I saw a kid who was intimidated, but determined. Determined you know, to do what? Just, I'm here. Fuck y'all. Fuck y'all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's still my approach to Is life. Is that a Western
1: Pennsylvania way of saying that? I don't uh, know. fuck ins. fuck So, uh, 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 and I remember noticing you, and I was friends. We, we had a mutual friend then, and... Yeah. But well I mean I didn't have any friends then. Well he was he, I was friends with him at that point yeah. but he he, he kind of lived across the street from you. You were in a different part of town. Yeah. From me we lived on different sides of the, I was of on the, the tracks. White, the white part of town. That's right.
0: And uh Mike lived in the only poor part of Fairfield Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> your and and I mean I mean that that's true, right? I mean your parents were so smart they didn't have a lot of money. They were both war refugees and they their whole sort of mm, orientation was giving you and your brother the best possible shot at life in America and so they got the cheapest house they could find in the best school district in the country yep yeah that's that wasn't exactly an accident a, that's that's no i mean they for figured that for out those
1: people who know that that part of the state or that part of the country it was right next door to the city of bridgeport which was You know, falling into a lot of depression at that at that time. So, but when they came to the country after the war, it was booming. A lot of industry there, and so on. So they worked in the factories there, and when they'd saved enough money, they moved to the next town over, which was Fairfield. And and Fairfield was a town that you either were uh, it 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 was you know two kinds of people either wealthy commuters into New York. which you know was in your, your case, your your dad's case, and then um, the people who worked in the service industries that serviced those uh, those people. And so, um, you know, my dad sold stamps at the post office for 33 years, and it was my, they were ecstatic because their kids were able to grow up in a public school system that was, you know, perennially top 20 in the nation. You know, yeah. so yeah. Um, so we we benefited from that. You know, so yeah, you came in you. You were there for for a little little bit of that time, and and I was I was close with with Chip, and and I'd walk home with him sometime. and We ended up spending a little bit of time together during that summer, not a lot, um, but you you were starting to get to know some of the people in the neighborhood there where you lived in Galloping that part of town. Yeah.
0: That's funny, you know. I didn't remember that that I. Showed up at the end of freshman year. I thought it was, it was I was pretty It was low key. Even. No,
1: I, rem- I remember it well. I remember mm-hmm. it well. It was low key, but you wanted to get a head start. It, and you, you and I really didn't spend a lot of time together until the following fall. We were in the same chemistry class together. Oh, with Miss Esposito. Yeah. Yeah. The class where I got my boots stuck underneath my chair. That time. <laughs> I
0: remember that. I couldn't get out of my chair at <laughs> the end of class. That's so
1: <laughs> Fuck, I
0: haven't thought but of They had that these in so things long, where you'd. Uh, <laughs> oh that's funny the you could put, is put like your a books, book rack yeah it was a yeah. rack underneath and the chair and somehow I got my in boot there. In there. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. her big thing was hot glass looks, looks just, just like cold, cold glass. glass yeah
1: yeah. horrible teacher and my hatred my lifelong hatred of chemistry I can directly you know relate it back to that yeah. that, that class that teacher uh, <laughs> yeah I hope she's not listening to this yeah she's a fan yeah I get emails from her all the time yeah <laughs> well yeah. i mean listen that's a universal i'm seeing it now with my kids who are teens is that how good or bad the teacher is determines everything it's really such a isn't that weird like you can have a good
0: physics teacher and you can decide to become an engineer because that teacher was good whereas no if question about it you'd had a you know a better theater teacher
1: you might have been an actor it's so determinative it's, it's hugely, it's the, the factor, I think, at that age, for whatever reason, you know, just the, the subject matter is almost secondary. But if you have a good teacher, they're inspirational, you know, and you, I'm sure you had both at our high school and then when you moved on to, you know, where you moved to, uh, you can think of the teachers who either inspired you or, I don't know what the right word is, but ruined the inspiration of a particular subject because they were so awful. It's, it's a real power that they have over, you know, the development of, of an individual who has intellectual curiosity.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into like how little our society honors those people and appreciates oh, them and it's you horrible. Know, how, how shitty they pay is and the, it's the whole thing. And it's much better in so Canada important. where I live
1: now. You know, yeah. they the the pay scales are much better. They're considered, you know, I mean I look it's not it's not perfect there, but they're I think they're paid more much more commensurate with how important their role is in in society compared to the states yeah
0: so can you talk a little bit just about you know because i think a lot of what we're going to talk about is how you and i are so different and yet uh similar in in many ways and have a lot of shared passions and appreciations and and i mean this it's this whole uh your experience is so different from mine. We we touched on it a little bit with just what part of town we lived in, mm-hmm. um, but your parents were both. Your father's from Poland. Your mm-hmm. mother's from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And actually, the part of Poland your father's from was Ukraine at some point.
1: No, it was it was Poland. That that was my mom. The part the part of Ukraine oh. she was from was part of Poland. Oh, okay. The border before shifted. the war. Yeah
0: can you talk a little bit about that i mean because that's a funny thing like you and i got to be friends and one of the things i that sort of um attracted me to you was that you were exotic in a sense that you're because i was always uh you know i grew up with the sense that america was bullshit and um that american culture was very superficial and and not that interesting and so you as uh, someone with very deep roots in Europe and, you know, that that really interested me and I mean, your mother, I asked your mother to write me a recommendation <laughs> for college because <laughs> she was one of the most interesting people who had ever entered my life, you know yeah and she wasn't a professor or anything that
1: was handwritten actually her recommendation was was handwritten handwritten, but she was in broken english but it was genuine i
0: really admired Mm. you know because of her life can you talk a little about your parents and how they ended up in fairfield
1: yeah uh yeah definitely a classic story of uh you know son of immigrants in in so many ways just in terms of their uh desire to see the life that they weren't able to have lived out through their children vicariously, right so so many people can tell the same the same kind of story so um, yeah they they uh, my dad was from Poland, as you say, my mom from where well, she was Ukrainian but where she was born was part of Poland um, they had long and very difficult routes through uh, World War ii were survivors of World War two I won't go into Uh, too much detail there but my I'll I'll focus a little bit on my mom that she ended up in a refugee camp after the war displaced persons camp was what they called them DP camps and um, they were either going to be sent back behind the iron curtain uh, or they were going to get passage to the to the new world and and uh, actually Eleanor Roosevelt played a, a really important role then in opening up visas for for people to be allowed into the states and so one fine day they you know they're they're living in a refugee camp and they find out that they have passage this is, by they i mean my mom her mother and my mom's sister
0: how old was your mom at this
1: point she's um let's see 24, 24 years old 24 and years how old was she when the war started and then she had to leave her house and all that well, I mean, she has a very, a very interesting story. Yeah, you know, ours our stories are a lot more boring.
0: Can we talk about that? Yeah, like her father and all that. Yeah,
1: we can talk about it. So she um, she was born in 1924. Her father was a prominent prominent communist in Western Ukraine, and uh, was part of what was called the Communist International. Then it was a very large organization, multinational, and. Uh, he was uh, part of the Polish delegation to the of the Communist International to Moscow. Uh, this is a guy who made presentations to Stalin and and so on. So he was you know, pretty pretty high up in the in the hierarchy. But then he made the mistake of pressing for Ukrainian independence. Oh, and that was the end yeah. of his career and then the end of his life. So he was ultimately uh, arrested and and shot and and killed. And did your mother
0: visit him in no. prison or?
1: Oh, yeah, she went to see him in the Lubyanka in, yeah, in, the in Moscow. Yeah, the Moscow The photo I have of her as a girl with her mother where they're both very serious. Yeah. And the photo is just a blow-up of the ID photo that they had to have made in order to get the document to go into see him. And they were told shortly after that that he had been shot, and, and it was I who found out, you know... Um, in about 10 years ago that that was actually a lie and he was alive for several years after that anyway i don't want to go into too much it's going to get it's going to get boring but eventually yeah he was shot they told him that he'd been shot just so they wouldn't so they wouldn't visiting. bug him anymore yes yeah. yeah that was a, fuck, a, a pretty common tactic apparently so they uh they ended up moving to kiev and and were there when the germans invaded and my mom was 16 when the Germans invaded. Now, in that part of the world, people would sometimes be sent to, uh, if, if they could afford it, uh, would would go to German language uh, schools. In, in this is in 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 Poland and pre-war Poland. Um, and so my mom had had uh, learned how to speak some German. Right. And so when the Germans invaded. There was a, a big decision to be made, a fateful decision to be made by her mother or by the three of them, which was, what do we do now? Because the order came to evacuate Kiev and go east with the Soviets, right, as the Germans advanced. But a lot of people, like to the tune of, I don't, I don't know exactly, a couple million or more, made the fateful decision not to. Because for whatever reason, each of them had their own reasons, mm. but they had no life to to. To continue on with the Soviets in the case of hmm. my mom and, and her mother with a an enemy of the people be, their father being an right. enemy of the people so he was already shot by this point uh, I'm not sure whether he was shot but they thought he was shot right but it was around then right. anyway uh, yeah he was shot yep. So they're
0: like okay so we can go back with the Soviets who hate us and or, take, our or take our chances and father or go toward the Nazis or just stay where we are. Oh, stay where we are and so see what happens. They yeah. said
1: goodbye to their relatives who the only relatives they had who retreated, who retreated right. and never saw them again and they then they stayed. Uh, and then they were in occupied Kiev for the duration of the war and then were and then ended up going west um, and, and ended up So they refugees. retreated with the Germans then they when the with Soviets the ad- as the advanced. Soviets advanced Right So they, can, can you imagine now they're in now they're enemies of the people because they're traitors because they didn't because they didn't get, you know yeah. uh, go to the east and so um, so they yeah. uh, some bad some some choices you know this is the thing that people like you and I just can't understand and, and you know this kind of stuff goes on in other parts of the world today as we yeah. speak where you're just minding your own business yeah and all of a sudden history falls on top of you and you have to make a fateful decision that's going to mean life or death or whatever depending on which way you go and which way the war goes and which way the war goes right so so that's what happened to her is that at 16 her knowing some german she was supporting her mother and her daughter because she she ended up as a receptionist and in a um uh a truck garage you know mm. it's kind of a depot or something so she was able to use her language ability to support the, uh, the family I, I use that example with my own children now you know because they'll um, you know it's just so hard to imagine the level of responsibility of a 16-year-old who's the single breadwinner for a family in an yeah. occupied city, you know, yeah. in wartime. Working for the enemy. Where I'm trying to get, you know, my, my yeah. 16 Could or 18-year-old kids to, to want to go get a part-time job or, you know, yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's my mom's uh, story in a nutshell. They were They were lucky and got a place on a ship and made their way to New York. Um, so she didn't know my dad my dad had made his way to New York um, after the war because his uh, he came from a family of seven the dad the patriarch so my grandfather sent him over he was the oldest along with another brother to uh, because they knew they had a relative in New York who'd sponsored them a nun in Manhattan a Polish woman and and uh, they worked in factories for three, four years to earn the money to bring the whole rest of the large family over. But by the time that they had uh, earned enough money and they'd actually moved to Hartford, Connecticut, by that time, um, visas to the U.S. had run out. And so the entire clan uh, emigrated to Canada because visas to Canada were still open. And that's why the whole rest right. of my extended family is right. is Canadian. So, um So they all moved to canada but my dad had met his first wife at that time uh who happened to be a russian woman um and in in connecticut and so they got married within a year of them getting married she died of leukemia
2: Hmm.
1: and uh so he do you know if she was diagnosed when they married i don't Hmm. i don't um but her, they, they her, she came from a deep, yeah. from a DP camp, a displaced person camp yeah. in Europe, and and her best friend was my mom, in the camp, in the camp, yeah. No oh, shit. And so they ended up in kind of the same neck of the woods in the states, and so my dad ended up grieving with whom with well with her best friend. You know, they oh, grieved oh, her I loss together. Fuck, I didn't remember that story. And and they got married. So it wasn't a thing of love. It was sort of a thing of you know they grew closer through grieving for the you know wife and friend whatever but that
0: is together. a form
1: of love isn't it it is but it's not the kind of love that we that we're used to you know it's not the stereotype of But you do, will.
0: I mean did your parents I mean how, how did you did you talk with your parents about love did they like when you you and Megan got together your first serious girlfriend did you talk with them did they think cuz because what I'm looking at is your parents, to you, to your kids. Those are three
1: different worlds. Very different.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, we, and we all live in different worlds yeah. from our parents. But in your case, it's like really, really yeah, different. I've just, I've just scratch the surface of it yeah and you're you're... the bridge generation right you get sort of both of those worlds although your parents world is incomprehensible to you i'm sure uh, having grown up in america and you know
1: you've never starved not not really not really i have to say that you know um actually not not to go tangential on you here go but tangential <laughs> baby when I started at my at my current job which I'm now winding up I'm, I'm winding up and winding down winding down I'm, I'm running a company and and uh, when I started there I interviewed everybody that in the company so it's a smallish company it was, it was less than 100 people and I wanted to get to know everybody, and I asked them the same level as of questions, the same questions of everybody, to figure out some trends about what was working well, what wasn't working mm-hmm. well. And one guy I interviewed, who ended up being a, a key guy on my team, a key manager on my team, is from China. And he told me that there are two kinds of people. This is our very first conversation. I don't know the guy at all. I'm pretty close to him now, after five years, but... He was a stranger to me then. And, and I said, oh, really? What, what are the two kinds of people? And he said, immigrants and Canadians, because the company's in Canada, right? And I said, what do you, what do you mean by that? And, and he said that the, the, Im, the immigrant is a different kind of person. It's somebody who has the fire in their belly to have done what they've done right which is that that they leave home yeah leave behind everything that you're used to mm. either because you're compelled to in the case of you know some some people i might say my mother for example because she had nothing to go back to she would have been going back to the gulag or whatever yeah. right or because you're looking for a better life but it's not everybody who has that kind of you know gumption i don't know what the right word is for it that can that can do that so those people who come over just have a fire in their belly to succeed to succeed and to and to however you define success right but to do the things that you've dreamt about doing where you were before but you felt the anguish that you could never get that done in the context where you were living before and if you can't get it done then you're going to get it done you know through your through your kids and i'll come back to that in Mm -hmm. a minute and he said what he called canadians were people who'd been there for several generations already and you know, his his label there just meant people who don't have that kind of desire, don't have the same kind of work ethic. You know, mm. that was his definition, right? Mm. And I told him, you know, you're forgetting there's a third kind of person. He goes, really? What's a third kind of person? I said, the third kind of person only lasts one generation, and then they're gone. And it's the son or daughter of immigrants, where you understand both profoundly. Mm. Right. So you yeah, say the bridge, you, you, the bridge you, you, generation? Yeah you, yeah, you you said to me earlier, uh, you know that I didn't really, I couldn't really relate to my parents' generation, but I really could. I could really relate to it well, quite profoundly. Well, I couldn't relate to know. you know bullets flying over that, my head. That's or, what
0: I'm saying. I mean, I, I you were one of the things that impressed me about you was how deeply respectful you were of your parents, and as a suburban spoiled american asshole i that struck me um and how your and that respect for your parents was expressed in the way you studied in the way you did your piano lessons in the seriousness with which you approached life and i felt you know, in contrast to you, I felt, I think for the first time, I saw the frivolousness or frivolity, I'm not sure which word it is, of my own life and my own approach to things and how easy everything was and how, yeah, if that doesn't work, I'll try something else. It doesn't matter, whatever. Um, you know, and that, that was, that struck me really deeply at 15, 16, mm. you know, when we got to be friends. So no doubt you your entire character and your approach to life and the decisions you made about what to study in university and you know how to construct your life are very much grounded in your parents experience there's, there's no doubt yeah there's, but there's no doubt but what what i meant when i said uh, you can't uh, you can't relate to them what i meant was You've never lived in a displaced person camp you've You've never gone to visit your father in a fucking prison where he's about to be executed. Mm. You know what I mean It's like your mother's experience is
1: well she experienced her father being arrested by the n k v d in the middle the, of the front night. yard, yeah
0: yeah and she saw him being taken taken away away. right like that's something that's that's at nine and a half you and i share our like blindness to that i mean that's a place where you and i are in the same place because you grew up in fairfield connecticut just like i did different part of town but nobody was being dragged away by police in the middle of the night
1: it's it's true it's true, and, no, and yet no I have Nazis sort of were a, a, for marching toward Fairfield. You know, I have a, um, I don't know, vestigial kind of understanding of it. It's hard to describe, but you know, you when know you what? have your parents, when you're eating, yeah. when you're eating dinner, and yeah. you're leaving like one bean because you don't feel like eating that last bean. And your parents almost get violent with you about that. It makes a mark on you when you're a child, right? So, in other words, you wouldn't have had that experience. Yeah, that's true. You know,
0: and you know what you said, vestigial. It, it made me think of this this research you may be aware of. Um. Grandchildren of people who suffered um, starvation mm. are much more likely to be obese. Because, wow. and, and that includes children who are adopted, have no connection to the wow. original family. There are epigenetic um, uh, aff- uh, affects, no, the epigenetic um, uh um, conditioning mm. that happens from the experience it goes down two or three generations fruit flies they've done it three or four generations but in humans they've demonstrated it that people whose grandparents suffered from famine you know in World War II are much more likely to have uh, obesity and to, to experience obesity it has nothing to do with family nothing to do with you know oh eat your eat your beans mm-hmm. it's that the DNA changes and it carries through. So there may, in fact, be a way that in
1: your DNA, some of those experiences persist. It's it's amazing. I mean, you're making me think about, you know, as you well know, and this kind of figures into our story somewhat, too, is that my parents were hoarders, you know, of yeah. the of the first order. And, you know, even just knowing a little bit about their background, it's kind of easy to understand where that hoarding came from. Sure. Right? And, and yet, you know, I, you get raised in that kind of an environment and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure some people can relate to this is that you're going to react to it in one of two ways. You're either going to be like my brother who is a form of hoarder. He has a lot of stuff, but he has it all ordered in a particular way, but there's a lot of stuff in his house, or you can have the way I turned out, which is, you know, when I was living alone, I had a lamp, a bed, a chair. A desk. Yeah, you were very zen. I remember. You know, it was it was in reaction to that. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but you know, again, that's a tangent. But it makes me think. Uh, you know, I think about that because of what you said. That stuff gets passed on. Yeah, I mean, and even can, though I didn't experience the stimuli that right, led them to become hoarders, right? right, right, but
0: yeah, but still, it it sort of it takes a bounce and still gets to you. you yeah. Know? Yeah, I what, I, I got to tell you, one of the great honors of my teenage
1: years was that you invited me to your house. You were the only one. No, I never had any friend visit me in my home until you did. And how old were you? S- senior, 16, senior in high school, I think something, something like that.
0: that. Yeah. I, remember, I remember. I was sitting, too, I was too ashamed. Yeah. Because of the hoarding. Yeah. 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 I remember that you could not see where the wall met the floor. There looked like
1: uh, paths, paths through the house. Yeah. Like trails.
0: Boxes and newspapers piled up against the walls. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Their attitude was it might come in handy. I might, we we could, we could, you know, fix this umbrella. So what if it's broken, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, my wife's a war refugee. <laughs> <laughs> who's sitting over there without a microphone? You're not going to talk cuz you don't have a microphone. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> She's talking. Um but yeah, it's it's something you see in people who have had nothing. Like you don't throw shit away. Why would you throw that away? I'm
1: sure that you you anybody who's listening to this who has Relatives who've gone through hardships will be able to relate to what I'm talking about. Sure. If you've ever starved, you don't throw food away. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, man, it's crazy. So we came from a couple of different backgrounds, but I think, and and those who don't know our history together would look at us maybe and say, how on earth is it that this is your best friend? And from both sides, right? But I yeah. think about the years from 15, 16, 17... But you're, what the fuck did zone. you see in me,
0: though? I mean, I, I, you know, I remember when you, the first time you came to my place, my parents' house, from school after school one day, and you played Roundabout by Yes on my dad's piano. <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> that? that? No, I don't. <laughs> you don't I
1: remember don't, that? No, I don't remember that.
0: So you sat down at the piano, like, oh, you have a piano? Oh yeah, like I've, I grew up with that piano, never played it never learned how to play it because I'm a loser you sat down (laughs) at the piano and you played that that that, the The organ part yeah yeah. and I was just blown away it's like someone I know can do that holy (laughs) fuck man I mean that blew my mind and then uh, later the first time I ever heard classical music and when I say heard it, I mean heard it. I'd listened to it before, but I hadn't heard. I hadn't felt anything. Like it was a language that meant nothing to me. First time it ever spoke to me
1: was your uh esque piece that you, you did. Was it that or was it the, the violin, the sonata for violin and piano? Was it? I think that came later. That came later? Yeah, okay, it yeah. was the the esque thing.
0: Which I have. I have on that computer right there in my iTunes. like it was a roller coaster. I remember when it like slowed as it went up and then it it you know come to the top and then it would roll down and there was a, and and the emotion and the the and I remember us talking about it and didn't see this is the the two sides of the coin because on the one side it's like holy fuck man you can do this stuff. This is incredible. This is magical. And then on the other side you saying you know now nah, that's just you feel nostalgic because that's a d minor and it's <laughs> a, you know and then I, I did this chord progression which everybody does and it's like and you sort of like sucked the magic out of it but luckily you were speaking a language i couldn't understand
1: so i don't know what fucking d minor means there was actually a, a homework assignment i don't know if i ever yeah it, it, i was Fuck taking yeah. a class at the local university there was a comp- composition in high professor. school yes little asshole You're such a fucking asshole <laughs> and they took a group and of by us the way people should area. know
0: like Mike was
1: like the genie
0: we're, you were valedictorian too right uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I remember in Miss Lasky's class when I was wearing sunglasses, like because I just Sue had just left me and my heart was broken and I didn't give a shit about it. I remember, I was in the Inspector General. The
1: I remember that day very well. <laughs> I <It> was, a, <laughs> you know, one of the things of knowing each other for so many years is that shit, I've had a chance to see you at the lowest of your lows of humiliation, <laughs> private and public, and yeah. that was uh, that was pretty public. well. It was a it was uh, <laughs> we, we were taking a class in russian culture russian literature russian history russian yeah. arts
0: and and, and and mike who speaks russian so you grew up speaking
1: russian my first language polish yeah. english well, my polish is poor but russian was what we spoke in the house growing up and and uh, my dad being polish I, i'm my comprehension's pretty good. Did and you speak
0: German at home? No.
1: No, 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 German. no. Okay. So you
0: grew up speaking three languages? Really two. I mean, Russian mm-hmm. and English yeah, fluently. There's that humility <laughs> that, that'll come back and bite you on the ass.
1: <laughs> and then, you know, when, when later on, obviously, learned yeah. other languages. Yeah, we, obviously. And, you and, learned and, Spanish and French. And yes, yeah. 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 So, so we, uh, we had to do... Uh, each one of us had to do something for this talent show. That was the culmination of the class. Was a talent show. That's right. And Indian and uh, projects. you know, different people did different things. They either played a piece, or they wrote, or read a poem, or Paintings. yeah, you know, what, whatever. And and whoever couldn't do anything,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, ended the rest up, of you were... ended
1: up in the cast of the Inspector General by Nikolai Gogol. Yeah and you you actually played the role of the inspector general did see, you not see i
0: did and and see i think this is sort of emblematic of my life i'm i'm the best of the worst i'm the i'm the leader of of the leftovers i'm i'm the guy who wins the avn award for best non-sex performance <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, you know i think that's pretty that pretty much sums up my my entire life well i don't know if you've gone through what happened
1: there but i remember i like one of the moments where i felt i felt terrible for you i'm sitting in the audience <laughs> and i like i've done i don't remember i did like two or three different things it you
0: was, played as i recall you played a composition that you had written <laughs> Based upon like some like impressionistic Russian poet,
1: yeah. It was. Your I, it was a co- I did a, chor- I, did a choral, I did a choral piece. I remember that too. I took a group of people from the class who, who sang in the choir, and oh, we, we, did, we did. We did some America. stuff, and then and then I went and then I went and I sat down, and the grand finale was <laughs> the performance of the an excerpt of of the uh, Inspector General a scene, a pivotal scene. A, a pivotal scene. You know the the. Uh, who done it? Moment or something. Yeah. And uh, what? But you. Why? I, why this story is important is because you helped me learn my lines. You remember that? Oh, maybe the night before. I don't. You know. <laughs> that but, was it. Yeah. But I you, couldn't. Well, you. You bothered. couldn't focus. You couldn't focus on anything because the I world was at an end. That's because right. the love <laughs> of your life at that time <laughs> yeah. had unceremoniously dumped you for yeah. another guy named chris by the way yeah which is yeah oddly enough and yeah. and that made it hurt worse and you were in a state of devastation I'm not even the biggest chris in her life and just i need to i need to share a visual
2: <laughs> <laughs> which is
1: which is uh you know back back uh-huh. in those days of course pre-internet pre Pre beepers, <laughs> I mean, yeah. pre, yeah, everything, right? 80, so my my house had one one phone, one black bell telephone phone. You know, the right. black with rotary rotary it. dial. Yeah, uh, you know, and and uh, the way we got privacy with that one phone is there was a staircase in the middle of the house stairwell, and I'd go halfway down to the basement on that stairwell and shut the door with and the cable be fully taut behind me right and that's how i would get um a, some semblance of, of privacy and for the week prior every single day in the evening you'd call and you'd be like you can't go on I, I don't know how I'm going to go on <laughs> <laughs> no come on that can't be true it, it was true it was horrible i felt so bad for you and of course <laughs> i'm trying to console you in a mature way and i don't have a clue what you like know never had about a re- i'd had no relationships point. at all yeah. you know i was as, as virginal as they as they get, and I'm like, you well, know, you know, Chris, you need to look at it this way, and like did, I know, didn't your mother
0: like take me aside and give me some? I think she like, did. Actually, I forgot about that. Yeah. And, I mean, I was, it was probably so it was probably a tough
1: love message, you know, like just so get it together. It'll be more like stop calling my son. You were a mess. You you were. You you were broken. You were a broken person. Broken. What what is that? So you didn't you you stopped all desire to do any kind of schoolwork, including and this is the punchline, learning the lines to the inspector general. So we get to that star. You get to your first line, and there you are, and you're like,
0: so who's in the audience? It's the class. The I think parents were there. My, yeah, there my, were there were parents. parents were well, my there.
1: mom was there. My mom Your was mom definitely was there. Yeah. I don't think my parents. were Yeah, there. random selection of parents, and other students, other, and other classes.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I remember the the lights, the stage lights, and I went. You and I, you had helped me uh, learn my lines like two or three nights before, and we like just went over and over and over, and like I learned them, I got them, okay. And I went out on the stage. Lost. I couldn't
1: remember anything. Dead silence. <laughs> Somebody on the side finally prompted you. I think the teacher yeah. was standing there with the thing. And yeah. She stage whispers. You're lying to you, and you say the line. And I'm thinking, okay, he'll kick in. You didn't kick in. No. There was no kicking in. You were lost. I
0: was lost. I I didn't remember. I, I, yeah, nothing. They had to like feed me every line.
1: I don't remember how it played out, but it was ugly.
0: <laughs> it was horrible. I remember. I was blinded by the lights. I couldn't see the audience except for the first row. Mm. And as luck would have it, you and our friend Chip were in the first row. Mm. And I remember you were sitting there horrified because I looked down, I saw you just like, Oh no. And Chip was doubled, terrible over for in laughter.
1: I felt terrible for you, you know? And, and, um, that that was a major scar in your life. I mean, I don't know whether you've talked about this in your in your podcast. But. I don't think I have. I
0: talked about the you know the, the the heartbreak and all that. But what what do you think? Like knowing me as you know, you know me now. However many years it's been. How, how long have we known? We we met when we were fifteen. I'm fifty five. That's 40, 40, 40 years. fucking years. Jesus. Christ. Forty years. Yeah. All right. So you've known me forty years. Like, what do you make of that? What, what was good? Why did that hurt me so badly? Why was I, is it just first love hurts that
1: bad? First love, you were in love with her.
0: For everyone? Does everyone get that fucked up? Because I was really fucked.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've, 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 we've have talked about this over the years. And I, I feel like, um, I mean, I, it's, it's very hard for me to generalize, for other people, but I can certainly make the statement for you or for me is that the 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 first love is the most intense, is kind of the craziest. And in retrospect, there's a lot of absurdity to it. There's no controls yet, you know, and there's no dials. You're just completely headlong into the thing. And I think both in the case of your relationship, and in the case of my relationship they were absurd they were f- you know ill-fated
0: yours you're talking about Megan Megan
1: yeah they were ill-fated right from the beginning but you didn't go through all that drama and craziness at the end of your thing. with I did. Megan, did I you? did. I don't. It wasn't quite as bad. I, I was lucky. I didn't older. have a play that I had to remember the lines for. <laughs> you know, but, but
0: you didn't like fail out of college
1: or you know. There's there's actually there is something. actually a cassette. I don't know if I don't know if your listeners know what a cassette is, but <laughs> <laughs> but there's a there's a cassette somewhere yeah. of the, you and me. I think you, me, and my friend Van. Van, oh jeez, I hadn't thought at college. Van, talking for like yeah three hours about how Megan could do that. You know, she cheated on me right. Oh,
0: that's how right. she could right. do that to yeah, me, I and I'm wallowing,
1: that. and it points. I'm crying, and it. Yeah, it, I mean, self pity on you know on ten on on the volume dial right, and so yeah, I went. I so I would but say it wasn't it was, that bad. It was pretty bad. You kept your shit together. It was pretty bad. There's a lot of tears and, and, yeah. and so on. So I think it's just, it's first love. Now, the question is, do you ever get over that? Did you ever really recover fully from that? Could you, were you yeah. able to ever be that vulnerable again with somebody? Because no. you laid it all on the line there and you got No. No, but, but, you know, those are two
0: different questions. Did you recover and could you ever be that vulnerable again? Mm. right can we ever be as vulnerable as we were at 5 years old you know can we ever be that mm. open and that you know unprotected um yeah. no and and i and i have never been as unprotected as i was at 15 for sure um since then
1: but you know you're making me think of something else which is that we we were you asked me about what on earth did I find interesting in you and there were, there was a lot and I'll come to that in, in a minute but um, our friendship was based on the fact that we were able to be vulnerable with each other during an extremely crucial time in somebody's upbringing so just as you know a couple of in, intellectually curious kids are seeing what the world is and you know and and starting to understand in a limited young person's way but nevertheless starting to understand what the world consists of it's such a different experience to do that on your own yeah versus how we did it with which is with each other and that's why we've stayed so close over the over these years i think is that we we formed our minds at the same time, a lot of the time on the hood of your car. Right. I was going to say, in your driveway, I remember in sitting our, on the in hood In our driveway. Of your car. We'd, we'd yeah. go out somewhere, do With something. With
0: Sue. I can remember you and me
1: and Sue sitting on the hood of that car. Sometimes, yeah, as yeah. well. No, it's, that's true. Yeah. I remember those times a little less, but but I, yeah. <laughs> I remember the times no, with, so with you but, and me. Where we're relying yeah. on the hood. Yeah. We've come home. It's like eleven, and we'll lie on the hood and look up at the stars, and just shoot the shit for the next hour and yeah. a half or two hours sometimes. And I know my mom was looking through the window, yeah. but I know my mom was happy, right? You know.
0: But see, that's what that's the thing. Like I understand, and again, maybe this is perspective, but I understand why I was. I was fascinated by you because you were not of this world and your parents were not of this world. And, you know, looking at my life since then, obviously I was very interested in, in getting out of America in, in what I, you know, Joseph Campbell's called detribalization, which mm. is, you know, recognize you're in a tribe and then recognize there are other tribes and then, you know, develop a perspective that supersedes that locality. And so you can see a much bigger picture. And I think I sort of instinctively knew that was the route that I needed to take. And so you were probably you and your family were the first, um, like door that opened for me in doing that. You know, I, you know, my whole passion with, Uh, american indians Mm -hmm. and uh, my thing about kung fu which is also a you know another cultural kind of thing and uh you know and then you guys and it's like wow they speak these other languages and you know his parents were in the war and they've all this stuff and i remember you and i going to hear some russian emigre um, you yeah, know, dissident Yeah, speaking. at Fairfield
1: University, yeah. Yeah. And, and, we went with Anatoly. Yeah, Anatoly, yeah. exactly. Yeah,
0: who, who was the guy we went to hear speak? Of? Yeah, um,
1: um, Ginsburg. Yeah. Alexander Ginsburg. Alexander Ginsburg, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um, and this is, I mean, and also people who are younger than us won't know all this, but the Soviet Union, I mean, that was a big deal, you know. The, that was, it was at the center of our lives yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, a gulag so just, archipelago so anyway my point yeah. is like you were an avenue for me to get where I wanted to go even if I wasn't articulating it or clear but there were a lot of fucking suburban white kids around who were smarter than me that you could have been hanging out with so I don't know what it was no
1: no I, I my recollection is that you know uh, you, you were you you're very very smart young guy you were you were very smart but but more importantly than that you were intellectually curious and and my and my family's quirks what i viewed as embarrassing quirks that i got made fun of by everybody for you actually valued Mm. and thought were really cool and and so it was uh, this, this, I felt like this incredibly lucky guy that, that I'd found a friend who, uh, is, is super smart, super curious to learn, 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 learn about very eclectic tastes. And and I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. Only it's been a misery for me to be that way. And here's a guy who sees that as a plus. Mm. So, uh, it was It was a godsend for me i mean I have to tell you it was incredible to 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 go from uh you know being teased and 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 um, sort of being uh, you know I, I was on i was on track i was on a different track i was on a track of becoming more and more quote unquote normal Right. In other words, mm-hmm. I was slowly trying to become more American and not wear the flood pants and not use the same uh, paper bag for, for lunch. <laughs> was, for, for, I did not <laughs> want I to beat interrupt you, to it. you, but I was yeah. thinking about that. Well, so there was yeah. a thing, right? So, so my mom fun. would give us, yeah. the same, yeah. would give my brother and me the same bag, and we would use the same paper, brown paper to bag take lunch to, to take our lunch in for, for two weeks or for three weeks for, until it fell apart, basically.
0: The rest of us were buying our lunch at school.
1: For a dollar fifty a day or whatever it was, you were buying lunch bags. <laughs> if you if you brought in your own lunch, you'd buy a pack of lunch bags. You know, well actually, you got them from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. very few people were bringing in their lunch in that school right. because most of the kids
0: were could afford rich or the parents kids could and their afford, parents could afford. So, like whatever kid, buy your buy your lunch. You brought your lunch. You not only brought your lunch. The lunch itself was.
1: Bizarre Russian, like
2: scrambled know.
1: scrambled egg sandwich,
0: <laughs> scrambled egg sandwich, sandwich. and then like sour and,
1: yeah and sour sour cherry tart that right. my mother made from cherries tart. that we picked off our tree in the backyard. Right.
0: And, right. So Mike not only brought his lunch, but he uh, he. I remember you eating your lunch in a way that no one could see what it was. You would sort of like sneak it out of the bag right into your mouth. <laughs> So there was this furtive yeah, kind of not, like not get laughed nib- at nibbling right? thing going on, and then when the food was gone, he would fold carefully fold up the paper bag and put it in his pocket That's right. until the next day and take it home. Yeah, and I, I remember at one point I was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken, <laughs> and this was when I was still with Sue because she was working there and I got the job there That's to right. get through her and i stole a gross of kentucky fried chicken sandwich bags yeah and gave them to you thinking this guy's gonna have a fucking bag for every day for the rest of his high
1: school career and the punchline of the story is (laughs) my mom you
0: (laughs) you folded up the first bag and
1: used that bag for weeks Mm -hmm. And those bags are... I went back after I was done with college and they were still downstairs in the basement. (laughs) We we hadn't gone through all of them yet. You barely scratched the surface. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, you know, Uh. it's it's hard to... You you know, until you showed up, I was... This wasn't like a plan or anything. You know, when you're that age, you just kind of go in with the flow. But I was gradually... Drifting toward becoming more and more "quote unquote" normal. Whatever, your
0: brother whatever was is. like that. Was his track? Your brother was like, "Fuck this Russian shit. I'm American." My my sense is that he was much more in opposition to your parents mm. and much more sort of possibly.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I, to, I didn't think about that. Not but to, it's to give him true. shit,
0: but he struck me as more petulant and less respectful of them than than you were.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and I I'm Yeah, it was an important you know. thing for me. It was an important thing. And, you know, that's more just a personality thing where I, I want I wanted to be a good son. I wanted to be a good boy. That was my that's kind of how I'm built to this day. Do you think and, that's genetic
0: or is it a happenstance of being the younger son or what do you think?
1: No, I I, I I don't know, but I know that, that the stereotype certainly is that he would have been the one that would have been that way as the eldest son, right?
0: Well, the eldest son normally is the rule breaker and the one who feels like the unconditional love, so you don't need to,
1: to really? please anyone. Yeah. Geez, I'm, I'm familiar with kind of a opposite narrative where the, the oldest son, you know, they talk about the... Uh, 24 of the first 25 astronauts were eldest sons, right? In other words, these are guys who were valedictorian, did everything right, captain of the football right, team, all of that right, stuff. Not, not rebels. They're, they're, they came out mm. the way the parents wanted them to turn out. And the second son is the Hellion you know that really? that's the that's the stereotype i'm more familiar with i don't know that's not my area of expertise so i, mm. I don't know but in our case it was yeah. kind of the opposite i right. to this day people will meet you know friends of my brothers will meet me and they'll they'll immediately assume i'm the older that's because you look two. old that's true i feel old <laughs> i feel old so yeah so that's that's the I'm that's kidding. the that's what i saw in you i saw uh you know, we just had great conversations together from the get go and and mm. did for for years. And so I've always it, felt all like those mind bending conversations yeah. about what why are we here and yeah. what's up there in the sky and all of that. And to be able to do that not alone. Yeah. But with with somebody with somebody who's your age and and who who you know seems to seems to value who you are and you value who they are, that's the dearest thing in the world to me. And that and that should I think to anyone who's listening to this, be ample explanation for why we've remained as close over the years, even though our paths have have diverged quite a bit. And you know, not not to jump ahead, but basically that that I've followed a. Um, a pretty conventional you know traditional route and and you know have have had the had you live the wild and crazy side vicariously for me and sort of vice versa right so people look at us now and 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 may think how is it that you're best friends well i hope that what we've just gone through helps explain that is that we developed together at, at, yeah. that, at those incredibly critical formative years. I still, I, I have to, I mean, I have to be
0: honest that I have always felt like a bit of, um, uh, what's the word? Like I've got a bit of imposter syndrome in the sense that, and it's not just with you. See, I, like a lot of those people uh, at, that Andrew Ward, you know, the people that we hung out with, I was the bottom of the top in in terms of like student body. Mm. Right. In terms of grades. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was okay. just barely in the AP kind of crowd, you know. Chip our friend chip that we mentioned earlier, now known as he Charles was, he was up in the upper echelons. he it. would fucking sit in the back of the room and draw comics in calculus class and then get the Ace, highest Ace possible test, right? and everything right you were the same, you were
1: like yeah I was kind of i don't come know come on lakehurst <laughs> it depended on it depended on what but i'd I'd say uh that I was. You're
0: doing fucking, you know, choral compositions based on Russian that you read in the original Russian. I mean, come on.
1: I didn't have...
0: Come on, man. No,
1: no. You played in a band. me bass, let me say it for what keyboards. it was. You
0: played keyboards. Like,
1: you I was, I was not the highest GPA in the school by a long shot. Chips was higher than mine. Henry's Henry. was higher than <laughs> mine. Henry you know, ben and so on. Those guys yeah. were higher than yeah. than the Petraglia's and so on were higher than 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 i was but i was definitely the most uh i i I think i can say with some confidence actually our our counselor wrote as much in my recommendation like i was doing the most different things like broad i was you name it i was involved in it right so i was i was in that group i wasn't at the top of that group the football team yeah, what's that? <laughs> Quarterback? No, no. Captain of the freshman soccer team, though. Were but, you? Yeah, I was, yeah. yeah that's good. Uh, <laughs> but but then I picked up the electric bass, and that was the end that of that. That was the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. So so let's get to drugs. So let's sex, drugs, and rock true. and roll. Oh
0: my God. I mean, because it's one of the supreme ironies. Uh, you know, anyone who's listening to this who knows you, uh, including your three lovely children, is... Like, the fact that you introduced me to both beer and marijuana is... I mean, they're rolling, laughing. I can hear them, the three of them, rolling on the floor laughing right now. Yeah. How long has it been since you got high? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That long. Yeah. (laughs) Uh So, I can remember the day... The first day that I got high with you, because I remember saying, like, I had smoked some weed in Pennsylvania before I moved to Connecticut, Mm. and I was like, yeah, it doesn't affect me. And you're like, what? I was like, yeah, no, I smoked three or four times. Doesn't affect me. I don't know, marijuana, whatever, my genes. It doesn't affect me. And you're like, you just didn't smoke enough. Yeah. And we skipped a day of school. We went to my parents' house. They Talk, were talking about me here, right? You yeah. and me. They were they were working or whatever, or yeah. maybe it was after school. I don't know. But we were in my bedroom, and I remember I had this receiver, this like JVC receiver. And your theory was we need to just smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke until
1: yeah, gets you over. It'll the get threshold. you over the hump. Yeah.
0: And we did. And I remember looking at that. Receiver and that the, the like the dial with all the you yes. know things, yeah, yeah, and it looked and like too. a big smile to me, and I couldn't stop laughing, yeah. And that was the first time I was ever high, yeah, thanks to you. So,
1: somewhere around 1994 is the last time I got high, yeah.
0: It was like Clinton was president then,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oddly enough, or Bush won, yeah. Some, something, uh, Clinton was
0: 92, like yeah, yeah, Clinton, yeah.
1: And even at that point, I think it was just because I was with you. Do you know what I mean? In yeah, words, it wasn't, that's when you were living in Cupertino, or yeah, Sunnyvale or maybe we, or we had just moved back was. to Boston or something. Right. I don't remember, but yeah, it was it, that already was maybe the first time in five. years. I
0: remember getting high with you. We actually, and it's interesting because it it was with uh, Pierre.
1: Mm. who was your
0: co-worker in Paris. Yes, were we in Paris? No, yeah, we were in Paris, yeah. but I had been to Amsterdam, and it was like, at this point, it was, let's see,
1: when were you living in Paris? When, 89 to 92. Oh, no, yeah, no, 86 to 89, sorry, 86 to 89. So it,
0: So it. So I wasn't living in Barcelona yet. It was when I was visiting you after the first time I went to Asia. Yeah, okay. And I had been in Amsterdam. And I smuggled a bunch of hash back to Paris in my butt. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, on the train. It's the only time I've ever smuggled anything in my butt. And uh, Because Pierre had never been high. And I remember (laughs) we said, like, okay, we're going to do to you what Mike did to me. We're just going to smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke until you get high. Yeah. And we were in your apartment in Paris with Sarah. Yeah, and we did, and we smoked and smoked and smoked. With the, that, you had those cats that yeah. that, that got off. Yeah, on cucumbers. Dunk, Duncan and Lily. Yeah, right. They they get all weird about cucumber yeah. slices. And uh, yeah, and we smoked this guy out. And the phone rang, and Sarah answered, and she was like, "Oh." Yeah, hold on a minute. Chris, it's for you. It's Joe from <laughs> it New was, York. It was my boss from New York yes. who was inviting me to come back to New York to do this other job. Because you were on your way to I Japan was to or something. To Japan, exactly. I was stoned out of my mind. Yeah. And this guy calls me out of the blue because I had asked him for a recommendation and asked him to send it to your address so I could take it with me to Japan. Yeah. And he'd like called information or something. I really regret
1: that we've lost contact with Pierre. You know. Yeah,
0: me too. Pierre was. Pierre was a, <laughs> a really beautiful guy and great know, guy. You know, Pierre. And I and, know and we shouldn't talk about Pierre shit too much, but Pierre, it seemed to me, kind of went through what I went through at fifteen, in his thirties
1: or forties with uh francoise yeah right yeah he never got over it never got over it that was his inspector general moment and uh and interesting i mean very different tale in the sense that this was a ladies man right so this is a guy who yeah uh you know serial relationships and parallel relationships and uh could not hold down a relationship for longer than a few weeks and then and then Françoise came along and everything changed and turned upside down for him and they stayed together for for years volatile but very close relationship they were very close to each other and then and then um they got married late in their oh, were relationship they married? late in I their relationship it might have been one of those deals where you're trying to salvage the relationship you know but she she was diagnosed with and breast then cancer. shortly after they got married uh no shortly after they got married they they broke up so they didn't work out mm. and then shortly after they broke up she was diagnosed with breast cancer and eventually succumbed to it it was very tragic young beautiful beautiful woman and and uh a character and a half i mean a piece of work but uh very dear to all of us and he never got over the breakup and i think then her you know her death and and so on but we we um, we drifted apart, and there's really no reason for it. I really regret it. I haven't been able to, you know. You've tried to reach you out. You and to I him. have both tried to to reach out to him. Love that guy. Love him. Yeah, love him. It was one of those situations where you know we've had over the course of knowing each other for forty years, we've had a handful of people who've been friends of yours that I've really taken a liking to, and friends of mine that you've yeah. taken a liking to, and Pierre's is one of those. Of, of course, my my friend uh, Luis was also somebody in New Hampshire that I was quite close to with Pierre. Pierre lived in in, uh, in Boston for a while. And then he, he passed away from brain cancer just uh, a little Very over quickly. a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. You met Luis, I yeah. he know. was
0: Portuguese, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 he was
1: from uh, Cabo Verde. Yeah. Cabo Verde, yeah. Yeah. right.
0: So I, I mean oh, what the hell, we're on the subject of mortality and here we are in our mid
1: fifties. Yeah. Known each other since we were fifteen. Yeah. It's an interesting age, you know, the mid fifties, right? In other words, I've I've seen both of my parents go. My parents are considerably older than your parents, but you know, your parents are now into old age and you know um it's it's uh Heavy time. It's a heavy time. Your kids are growing up, and you know. I think I was telling you about this the other day that when they're little, the sense you have uh, is that you put so little in, you get so much out. Just they, mm. you come home and they smile at you and say hi, daddy, and come running to you and you're just loving little monkeys, pure, right? Yeah. And then, and then in the teenage years, you're putting so much in and you're getting so little out, <laughs> and it's. Uh, um it's it's a lot tougher it's a it's it's definitely a lot tougher so that makes it a difficult time and then there's the it's also this time where either you're losing your parents or in the case of my mom she was living with us and you know losing her her physical abilities so you know needing our care more and more and more to the point of full care if you know what i mean and um and that's a difficult time too and you know you're going through some of that now particularly with your dad and um So it's it's not it's not the it's not the most joyful of of times. It's like a transition time, and um, you you were talking about it the other day. You were making this interesting point that a a man in his fifties, right, and certainly would be true for for a woman too. But somebody with with a career, let's say, you're um, kind of peaking in terms of your responsibilities. I think the way you put it was you've you've spent years making the right decision, and that's gotten you to where you are. Uh, but because of that, you're dealing with heavy stress and heavy responsibilities. At that, at well, it's that a point. man like
0: you, not a man like me. True, that was the point. Yeah, right. That that it's my true. life because my trajectory is so different. These things, I, I look at it from outside, and I see a guy like you and most guys you know you've got a career you got kids you got the mortgage you got you got a lot of people that you're pulling you know that, that you're yeah you're supposed to be dragging them
1: along a lot of weight on your shoulders at this point right that's yeah. that's no and you I, I get that the juxtaposition between us but yeah certainly for me is that it's it's not the happiest of times even if everything is going basically okay it's it's a It's a time of a lot of hassles and a lot of headaches and a lot of worry, yeah, a lot of worry you know right and and it could be because you're you know you're you're worrying about how you're going to deal with putting your parents into a home, yeah, or it could be because you're worried about money because your kids are college age and it's our country at this point you know I'm lucky enough to be in Canada now. Not that it's that easy for everybody in Canada either. By the way, you're not lucky. You're fucking clever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> There's
0: no luck involved in that. You saw that storm coming. I saw and it you coming. You built and a shelter. I, I, I bolted. You did. I th- built that nuclear shelter in my backyard. And I know you. It has
1: a maple leaf on it.
0: And it's no fucking like spur of the moment thing either. You've been sort of thinking about this for a long Ooh, I've time. I've talked
1: to you about yeah, it. I yeah. I didn't know that it's. I didn't know its name. I didn't know it started with a T and ended with a P. <laughs> with a pump, <laughs> T- began with a, with a, a hum in T- the middle. Ended with a rump, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, a rum in the middle. Sorry, too tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, but yeah, you, you play, but you uh, are right. We talked about well. it, and I said Fuck I, yeah. I, I see a storm and i do not like what i see yeah, and yeah. i want to get the hell out of here and i'm glad that i did and as we've talked about many times i guess this is a good moment to make my plug for canada canada's got problems just like any other country on earth but i love canada i love yeah. that country yeah and i do and, too uh, man
0: it's a it's a decent yeah country run by decent people yeah. you might disagree with them. Um,
1: but there's a there's an underlying sense of decency there. Yeah, I think you. Well, well put, well said. Yeah. there's that's the basis of it. And we talked a little bit at dinner tonight about how the little things and how people react. Where, you know, um, it it you know you you have nobody look how you how you behave when nobody's looking, mm. right? It's how you behave when nobody's looking, and that's that's a. a Um, you know a a barometer of what the country's made of yeah and and that's where I I love Canada and I think America has a lot to learn from our neighbors to the north and I say our neighbors to the north but I'm proud to say that I've applied for Canadian citizenship so I hope to be one of them pretty uh, soon
0: Um, you know one of the areas that that you know we're talking about mortality so maybe this is a natural segue One of the areas that where you and I, where our lives are are kind of different and our perspectives are different and maybe diverging more and more is in terms of religion or spirituality. Sure. So you were raised uh, in a Russian Orthodox tradition, right? Yes. And you went to church regularly? Yep. Yeah. Um, You know, whereas I'm heathen, (laughs) Uh, godless heathen um, and as you get older that as you've gotten older that's become and correct me if I'm wrong but it seems like it's become a more important part mm. of your life you've, it has you've become what are you the choral director or something yeah the I direct
1: the choir which in, in you know our religion is, is uh, it's a very important part of the rite you know the of, of the ritual right. is the uh, and the so people aspect.
0: just so people know like your wife you met in Paris she's Congolese, mm-hmm. uh, I, I often joke that you're so white, you're kind of blue, and she's so black, she's kind of blue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like she's like gunmetal, yes, yeah. and you're like, you know, Ukrainian fucking, you know, snow potato eating white. <laughs> I'm 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 like pink. I'm at the pink side of the white spectrum, and you're at the sort of blue <laughs> side of the white spectrum. Uh, and your kids are these gar- gorgeous, beautiful mixed race kids, Tiger Woods looking little motherfuckers, <laughs> and uh, so you know. So there is this v- sort of very wide spectrum culturally and racially. And yes, know, we call
1: our kids the Bantu Slavs.
0: <laughs> the Bantu Slavs. It's a great name for a band. Yes. Huh? Yeah. yeah. The Bantu Slavs. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, and and you know, like we'll leave aside the religion for a minute. But th- talking about the respect you had for your parents, I see some of that in your kids. Mm. You know, your kids are very good people. They're kind, respectful, decent. They're good people. It's you know, very might,
1: been very important for me and yeah. very important for my wife in terms of how we raised them. She was raised the exact same way. If you see you Know a lot of how they turn out is them watching us interact with our parents, right? right. So, so Mirai right. uh interacts with her parents with a deference and with a respect, and and yeah. you know, I would deserved I, you, you watched respect, me, right? yeah. I you, mean, it's you watched not me just do the same, with your parents, my, you watch me do the same with my parents, yeah. and and um, yeah, I mean, I don't boy, I think a lot of about how families are being raised today, you know, and I, I have an, a, an overwhelming, just overwhelming, I can't really put it into words, an overwhelming sense of sympathy and wanting, compassion and wanting to hug uh, so many people in terms of the the difficulties and the coldness and the lack of love and the um abuse that that so many people have to grow up with today when i went to university i remember having a shocking moment during orientation when and this is 1981 1981 Um, you know, they put you in groups and you sit around a campfire or whatever and they go around and they have several constructs they set up to get you to know each other, you know, and they ask you about your upbringing and what's important to you and so on. I don't even remember what the constructs were, but I remember it being, you know, orientation is supposed to make you feel better and make you belong and so on. And for me, it was a traumatic experience because we're going around the circle. I'm one of the last ones to go and I'm hearing one horrific story after another of abuse or of neglect or of difficult divorces of the parents you know and they come around to me and (laughs) you knew my parents you know you you were there Mm. I was raised in, in love and and they just all they wanted to do we see that we came out okay, and that 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 we would have the normal life that they didn't have. However, you define the word normal, but I think for for the sake of this, you know what I'm saying now. People know what I'm talking about. And there was it was uncomplicated in every way. We were quirky, you know. We were a weird family in a lot of ways, hoarders and 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 so on. But the love was pure, and and my parents both had. Uh, you know, my dad was Catholic, my mom was orthodox, but their their worldviews were basically the same, yeah so we grew up in love and in a singleness of purpose and in a singleness of belief and it's it's it's
2: so fucked up now yeah. for
1: so many people. I, my my heart just hurts yeah you know i wonder about the people who are listening you know and to to your podcast and the kind of difficulties that they that they have to grow up in and it's 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 deeply upsetting to me yeah it should be about love
0: love yeah i often i've often thought that if your parents Loved you, and you knew it. Nothing else matters. Everything else you can, could, you can fix it.
1: You could end the podcast with that, man. That's right. what it that's what it's all right about. So but you've seen they, my kids, but if they didn't, nothing else matters. Yeah. If
0: they didn't love you, they didn't let you know they loved you. Maybe they did, but they didn't tell you. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much pussy you get. I don't care how many mountains you climb you'll never get there
1: yeah
0: right i mean you, you got to resolve that you got to
1: like you turn have to in and
0: you got to figure that
1: out you have to figure it out yeah. and and somehow it winds up that for some people figuring it out is pretty simple because they grew up in a in, in one environment and for some people it's going to be a really rough haul to get there yeah. but you have to get there yeah yeah
0: Yeah. It's incredible. It's such a, as you say, it's so simple. It's so simple. Your parents can be dirt poor, but they love you and they tell you that and you believe them like, fuck,
1: you're, you're rich for life. That's it. That's it. Shows you how bullshit all the economic, you know, trimmings and, and so on are. Right. Yeah. It's all it, it does. It makes no difference. Well, it, it does make
0: a difference, though, but in the opposite sense that often the people who are most consumed with money and they don't have time for their kids. Right. Yeah. And they also don't have the emotional wherewithal to be good, honest, authentic parents because their entire life is built on falsity. It's all this bullshit. It's all chasing money. It's all being the famous. It's being, uh, it's running in the opposite direction. It's running away from love. It's running away from decent, kind relationships that are the only fucking thing that matters that, I mean, I think we're talking about the same thing here, but you know, it breaks my heart that the entire culture is built around it's like a map that's 180 degrees wrong Mm. if you're using the map you're moving away from the things that matter
1: Mm. I agree completely towards
0: shit that doesn't matter at all and it takes a lot of energy to climb these mountains and there's nothing on the top of those mountains I
1: agree completely yeah
0: you agree completely but you're a fucking CEO
1: quit your job buy a fucking
0: sailboat dude
1: (laughs) (laughs) So let's come back to the CEO thing in a minute. But you asked me about faith, so well yeah, religion and faith cuz cuz you're a scientist, you're a, you know,
0: obviously an extremely intelligent person. So how do you combine do I mean the Russian Orthodox. I don't know shit about Russian Orthodox. I know it's a sect of Christianity with beards and
1: <laughs> funny outfits and outfits and hats yeah, and candles, lots and, of incense. Yeah, and, and, exactly. And some beautiful choral music. But anyway, go ahead. So,
0: I, I mean, for you, is it, is it a belief structure that you that you subscribe to intellectually, or is it more like? it's a sense of community and um, an acknowledgement that there is something beyond this material world that deserves our respect. Mm. You know what I mean? Like how literally
1: yeah, would like you call yourself podcast.
0: a Russian Orthodox as opposed to someone, Eastern Orthodox oh, sorry, and Earth, and, yeah. Eastern.
1: Uh, or Orthodox Christian? Let's just we could call it Orthodox Christian. Um, so, you know, Russian Orthodox being just one thing. Orthodox right?
0: means true believer, right? I mean, it's orth- correct. correct. Orthodox means correct. But
1: doesn't everyone think they're correct? It's, I'm just telling you what the word means. Catholic right. means worldly, right? I mean, it's just whatever. Small c. It's a word, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess the, the first thing I'll say is that, that I know that anybody who is a thinking person. Uh, goes through a journey in their life of trying to explain and answer the big questions, why we're here, what happens to us when we die, what the point of life is. Yeah. You know, those, those sorts of questions. The ones and, we were talking about on the hood of my car. That's right. Yeah. The last, the, the, <laughs> the cutlass, the
0: sporty cutlass.
1: And, um, uh, and I, I feel very strongly that it's not my place to judge anybody else's path through life as they seek to answer those questions. And, you know, we have different terms for them, like Weltanschauung or worldview or, you know, what your outlook is on, on, on life and, and whatever. But, you know, the answers to those tough questions. And so, uh, likewise, I I feel very strongly that others don't really have the right to judge my Path through through life and and um, so I'll share with you, kind of my my path. Um, you know, I I grew up in a particular uh, religion or faith, which was Orthodoxy. But your father was Catholic. My father was my father was Catholic. My father came from a part of the world that is fairly familiar with Orthodoxy. He was from Poland and he was Polish Catholic and. Uh, in the east of Poland, there were a lot of people who were Ukrainians and who were Orthodox. You know, so um, it was very normal for, for for somebody like him. It wasn't esoteric or exotic in any right, right. in any way. So um, he always felt comfortable with it. In fact, he was pretty conservative as a as a Catholic, and and he was drawn to orthodoxy after the changes that happened to the Catholic Church in what was called Vatican II, which was right. a, a series of reforms Started doing mass
0: in English and a lot a lot of relaxing
1: things. some stuff yeah so uh, so he always felt comfortable with it and he i have to say more than my mother who was orthodox was the one who was really you know throwing us in the car and taking us to church on sunday mornings you mm. know he was really the one who was the proponent of that. But I was, I was a kid. And when you're a kid, you're, you're just doing what your parents are telling you to do, you know? And in, in my particular case, when I reached uh, around the time when you and I were getting close, you know, so around the time when I'm maybe starting to go to college, um, or whatever, I definitely went through a, a, a period of simultaneously questioning all of that in a fundamental way. There were a couple of triggers that Really question me. I'll, I'll I'll talk about one of them in a minute, and then also just being so absorbed by the worldly world, what I'm calling the worldly world of of the university, uh, that I was much more absorbed by that than I was by any larger questions, you know. And and um, so it kind of went to the edges of my of my consciousness. Um, I guess just to keep things in sequence, I'll I'll just say that one of the things that pushed me away was. You know, I had like any person that age, 15, 16, 17, 18, some idealized notion of what my church ought to be like or what my faith ought to be like. And when I was seeing people not behaving to that standard. I glommed the two together instead of understanding. They're that, all hypocrites. Right. Right. So what was your church at this point? Was it Eastern Orthodox or Catholic? No, I was never Catholic. So your a, dad was taking you to, to Orthodox church. Orthodox church. <laughs> church. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now also to, to fill in a little bit um, so people can picture you, you had long hair and you played bass
2: in yeah. a band.
0: Yeah. A funk kind of yeah. funk pop band. Yeah. Right. So you're, and you were never like a druggie or, or anything like that. I mean, I, I don't know if, People got the wrong impression when I joked about you teaching me. Yeah, it's, it's pretty
1: ironic because I'm not exactly, yeah.
0: you know, and you weren't even then. I mean, it's yeah. just, you were familiar with it and I, I was probably more interested in it than you were. Yeah. But you, you know, I don't know. You knew something I, like I had Rudy. an old,
1: Rudy. I, I, well, I had an older brother and you didn't. <laughs>
2: That's part of it.
0: But <laughs> well, wasn't so, a guy named Rudy the Rudy yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, There's
1: He guys, was, he was pretty instrumental he, as well, right? He hooked right? us up with yeah. some weed. Yeah. And
0: he, well, and he was, his girlfriend was in your band?
1: Yes, yeah, Cindy. Like a yeah, hot she's bland, saying, hot blonde. She was quite good looking. Cindy, yeah. Yeah.
0: But the real hot person in your band was at Cornell, uh that Asian Oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: What was yeah. her name? Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah, 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 yeah. she was she was yeah. phenomenal.
0: So okay, so while you're listening to this story that Mike's telling you, imagine Mike is like sort of a David Byrne kind of character. In these funk
1: bands. Actually looked something, I don't know if if people who listen to your podcast will remember what Jackson Brown looked like or who he was. You know what? Our Simon, who you and I had
0: dinner with two hours ago. Yeah, yeah. Jackson Brown's son is one of Simon's best friends. Wow. They've lived together in New York and yeah. Santa Cruz. Well, if you
1: Google Jackson Brown, then that was a little bit what the look was. Part, the part look. in the middle, straight hair down the sides. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's the look, but yeah. the but the on stage vibe was more near. Yeah. yeah, talking heads, definitely. Talking yeah. heads, yeah. like really tight,
1: funky pop jazzy kind of yes. music. So on Sunday mornings. Uh, from age fourteen on, which is highly unusual you know in in the tra- in the tradition in orthodoxy the, because of some pretty cool uh people in my parish from fourteen on I was directing the choir, oh, were you so you know i 'd be oh, right. whatever gigging you know in <laughs> <laughs> some band Played on Friday or night. Saturday night, and then the next on Christ sunday morning i 'd come in and be conducting the choir you know so wow. yeah it was it was an interesting. Um, it was an interesting thing and this is during the time that you and I are having our conversations on the hood and so on yeah. anyway to to come back to the to the oh so so yeah i was talking about how i drifted away so one of the things that pushed me away was the that my parish acted in a really bad way to a priest that we had who uh, again this is right around the time you and i are getting close mm that I was getting close to and he was a younger priest, really really cool guy. And because he didn't he, he he was too american and didn't use enough russian, they kicked him out. And that just, you know, cut deep inside me. It really devastated me that that kind of bs reason, mm. if you see what I mean, right? So that was a that was a, a, a major um reason for me getting disillusioned you yeah. know i was yeah. kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right. you know whatever i, I needed to pick yeah. a good cliche there so
0: then also you're you, you, there you are you know with the schism running down through the center of you between america and absolutely, Russia, absolutely. and they're rejecting half of you and yes sense. yeah yeah so then i go off to college i'm 300 miles away from home so what so what do you mean you rejected it were you like fuck this i'm not I don't believe it anymore or or what does that mean? That I was rejected? just I was
1: very angry and probably looking for a reason to stop going, you know? Would you
0: have gone to mass in Ithaca?
1: I went a couple of times, but I didn't relate to it. so so I stopped going. There was an Eastern Orthodox church? There was a a Greek church, because the Greeks are also Orthodox, right? I remember the Suvaki house. Yeah. Yes, there are a lot of Greeks in in Ithaca. And so the the Greeks share the same religion. And and so I went to their church a couple of times, but I was kind of ripe to step away from it. And I stepped away from it really Mm. for the next decade Mm. Um, and just got thoroughly caught up in what i referred to earlier as the worldly world and and um that was the time when i then you know finished school started my career as an engineer in boston living downtown you know living the dream you know and and uh, uh transferred with that company to paris spent four years in paris transferred with them to outside of london spent three years there uh, and then transferred to to California and around the time that I transferred to california and you you were move you had moved there around around the same time as us I started changing i start i started kind of revisiting the whole thing and 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 I have to say that for for me and again i'm I'm saying this is my path right so for what I started to get even more disillusioned with was the depth and breadth of the BS of the materialistic consumerist, the worldly world, worldly world. Right. So I'm like, this is supposed to be better. This is supposed to be the alternative Mm. and it's bullshit. It's 99.9% bullshit. So that's what got me thinking about, you know, what's real, what matters. And, and, Eventually, you know, uh, my my now wife moved out there with me. You know, we we became engaged and then uh, married, and and she she decided that she wanted to become Orthodox, even though she's from African background, right? And she she was she raised in a religious Catholic. She was raised Catholic. nominally Catholic, right. you know, but she had a real hunger for for wanting to belong to. Uh, a faith she always felt that she had a um you know a, a pull toward toward that and she decided she wanted to to pursue it and so we kind of came back into it um together i should say that during the time that i was away i explored in some you know with some vigor uh other other faiths i was going to ask you if if you looked at Whatever. Yeah, two of the ones that you might find more interesting are... I and mean, I
0: know you were in the Mansons there for a while. That's...
2: <laughs> well, have, it was easy. I just gate. had
1: to change my crust, to, you know, turn it upside down. Right? Yeah. But it was, yeah. yeah. So, uh, no, the, the two of the ones that I was was quite drawn to were Baha'i.
0: Oh, great. Very cool people in the Baha'i. And
1: And a lesser-known one from Vietnam called Cao Dai. Mm. So different but but similar to baha'i in the sense that uh, you know if if you, some of your listeners know about either of these you see the the linkage which is i'm looking for some kind of a meta mm. all, all all encompassing right. umbrella like right so, non judgmental right kind of that religion. accepts everybody and doesn't yeah. doesn't say no you're all going to hell except this particular whatever right so um so that's that's what drew me to the, to to those and and they were they're they're both beautiful they're both beautiful and 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 have a lot to offer and and I I sort of came to the conclusion for me personally that you know these are all imperfect lenses trying to explain things that are beyond human comprehension Right. So you're trying you're you're trying to do the impossible. You're trying to through imperfect glass, you know, uh create something that people can latch on to to explain what is beyond everything. So it's a question of, of picking one. For me, it's a question of picking one. And ultimately I came back to the one that that feels the most um Familiar, right. you know, to me, and and here I'll just spend a minute on on it. Is the second time around was different than the first time around, right? Because the second time around, now I'm thirty, yeah, that's different than when you're growing up in right. in a faith, and and the things that appeal to me about orthodoxy are that it's an unabashedly mystical faith. It's an experiential faith. Mm-hmm. It's not a legalistic. Faith—it's right. not a transactional right. faith, and so it's—it happens to be, you know. And I, I'd invite, you know, anybody who's interested to Google more on it. I mean, I think that a lot of faiths these days—I'll—I'll you know, just—I'll come out and say this—get a get a bum rap. I almost feel like, you know, and, and I'd ask people to 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 try to be honest with themselves about this. Why is it that we talk about Buddhism or uh, other Eastern or or esoteric faiths? And we're able to kind of look at them with some reverence and, and respect and think about how profound they are. But if we talk about Catholicism, I'll just use that as an example, it like elicits this, this, this visceral reflex negative reaction, you know?
0: It's the butt-fucking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so if I had to boil it down, I think that's,
0: that's the yeah,
1: Catholicism's I, big problem is the butt-fucking and the hypocrisy. Well, my my contention is there's a lot of hypocrisy to go around. There's a lot of bad behavior to but, go around. But
0: there are no Buddhists saying you're going to hell because you masturbate. There are no Buddhists saying you're going to hell because you had sex before
1: you got married. I am sure that you wouldn't find—it would, wouldn't take you too long to find—or it wouldn't take me too long to find something in Buddhism that you would find absurd or that you would Oh, have.
0: sure. There's a lot of absurdity, but look— You want to call yourself a Buddhist? Call yourself a Buddhist. Nobody gives a shit. There's no central organizing council. There's no secret handshake. There's no initiation right to, you know, what's confirmation. There's no confession to try to, like, get some leverage over you so we can fuck you over the rest of your life. There's, I mean, there's definitely shit in Buddhism that's absurd and ridiculous, but the essential... Um, sort of operating principles of Buddhism are inclusive, accepting, um, tolerant,
1: and chill. I, I feel like you're kind of proving my point for me right now. In other mm. words, I think that there's an awful lot of good that went on today by Catholics around the oh, world. Oh, I didn't disagree with that, and at all. and and I think there's, and I'm not Catholic, yeah. you know, and I, I picked them somewhat at random here, right? right. Uh, that that there's. There's a lot to their doctrine that, and again, the little that I know of their doctrine, which has a lot of positives associated with it. And no there's doubt. other stuff no doubt. that is hypocritical. And I, all I'm saying is that there appears to me in, in the among the people that we circulate together with that there's like a bias toward one or against the other that I don't I don't understand, frankly. You don't think
0: that there's an objective difference between a Buddhism that, that accepts homosexuals without question, that accepts premarital sex, that accepts masturbation? You don't think there's a difference between that and a religion that says you go to hell for any of those things? Or a religion that says you're born flawed and Jesus died for your sins? I mean, that's a very different theological structure
1: i i think you know i mean that's a, this is like a whole other podcast yeah we'll do this in part two yeah i mean i i, I, I do i think it's a whole other podcast <laughs> i mean i'm
0: I, not i i'm not disagreeing with you i mean i i'm named after a priest i don't know if you know that story I, right
1: I, I do and i i understand he was an extraordinary man he was a
0: wonderful person but he left the church and one of I, the reasons he left the church was that he couldn't buy the bullshit anymore of mm. what he felt to be uh, the hypocrisy of the catholic church i mean
1: well i, I went know. on a little bit of a tangent i let me let me try to bring it back which is to say that you know the tangent i went on was it seems to me like there's a there's a bias and there's like a like a it, um visceral reaction that i see from people that i that 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 I don't understand, and that was a tangent that that I that I went. I now I want to come back to my own path, which is that uh, what I was in the middle of saying before is that the the Orthodox faith is is less focused on as as a much as as a as an experience is much more of a mystical experience and and uh, um, has a has a timelessness to it that I think is different from western religions it's an eastern religion
0: yeah it's almost like um it's an eastern christianity eastern christianity exactly right yeah i mean i <clears throat> i get that and i get what you were saying about the 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 impossibility of of comprehending or representing something which is by definition beyond comprehension mm. and that that's the sort of central enigma of um of a lot of of religious approaches and so any religious approach that i'm gonna have uh any sort of um, no i don't want to say respect i respect them all to some extent but that that i'm gonna sort of relate to is gonna have that acknowledgement at the heart of mm-hmm. it, which mm-hmm. is why a mystical approach makes sense to me mm-hmm. because it's like hey it's It's a fucking mystery, right? And we're all here together acknowledging that. There's a humility to it. And I think one of the things that people find repulsive about Catholicism is the certainty, the smug certainty.
2: Mm.
0: Right. The mystery of it. I told you she was going to do that. It doesn't (laughs) matter that she doesn't have a microphone. She'll talk. The mystery at the heart of... Of any any sort of um, attempt to look at the universe, uh, you have to have humility there, right? You know, it starts with
1: humility, yeah. deep humility. So,
0: does in your religious tradition is there um, are there teachings or guidance toward what happens when we die?
1: Yeah, I'm not an I'm not an expert in it. I have some. Uh, knowledge of it but to come back to the point that you just made a moment ago humility is a a core concept within Mm. within orthodoxy a lot of the prayers which is funny humility is a
0: core component of orthodoxy Right, because doesn't orthodoxy mean, in a sense, certainty and correct worship, correct worship, right? Which is
1: which? Ortho is correct, dox dox is dox is glorification, glorification of God, right? Correct glorification. So we're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, and I don't know, it's like the Chinese you know, calling themselves the Middle Kingdom. I mean, what do you want me to yeah, Well, you know? the Navajo. It's a name.
0: Every, every almost every North, Na, Native American tribe's name, the Navajo, the Apache, the, you know, Lakota, whatever, it means the people.
1: Right. Who right. are you? We're the people. So I, don't know I think are, that's but, the way to understand that, that, right. that term, you know. Yeah. So, whereas, you know, if, it, I would, wow, now I'm going to sound like I'm bashing the Catholic Church, but mm-hmm. the way the Catholic Church refers to itself is the church right it's like the bay area there are a lot of bays bitch. yeah yeah so. the tri-state area so that's my journey right and okay. that's where so i ended up coming to a place that mm-hmm. i felt comfortable with because i I like that that feels right to me the 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 the, the mystical right. the humility and you know even if it's aspirational the rejection of the worldly world in other mm-hmm. words there's a there's a, a, a phrase that's central to orthodoxy which is Uh, being uh, in this world but not of this world right right so um so that's my that's my journey and that's you know and and it it worked out great for me also in the sense that it it i was ready for that at that point in my life if who knows i'm 55 who knows where i'll be if I'm still alive at seventy five. I mean, you know, it's that that's kind of the point that I was trying to start with, which is that everyone goes through their own journey and it's a marathon. If they you know, those who are who are thinking people for whom it's it's worth it to spend time to think about what is your worldview? Why are we here? You know, the the questions that we talked about before, the difficult the questions that are so difficult to answer. And and that's been um, that's been my journey and and you know we we've, we've used the theme of our friendship over the years and there's an example that you said yourself that we've been in very different places over the years but we've had a mutual respect for each other's um point of view you know even in your you know you've become mellower in your in your old age as you've <laughs> lost hair and it's turned white and you know and and both of us have gotten a little bit of a gut there me a little bit more than you and uh, when you were a younger guy, when you were in your teens or in your early twenties, you you had an edge to you. I mean, you were you you, you were saying quite. I was an asshole, is what you're saying. Um, that would be charitable, <laughs> <laughs> at best. At best, I was. You an asshole. you could be really difficult <laughs> at, at, because you really? were you 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 had a point of view. The other person had a point of view. And you weren't going to be satisfied by winning. You needed to annihilate the other person, you right. know. And, and that has mellowed tremendously over time. It's been a beautiful thing to watch, actually. And, and you know, I don't think it's forced. It's just how you've evolved as you've gotten uh, older. It's funny.
0: I was saying to you earlier, like, I don't like writing these books right. where I'm
1: right and everyone else is wrong. Yeah, I, that's I, that's not you at 21, my friend. At 21 that was my dream <laughs> at, to at, be right. At 21 you were going to annihilate everybody in the room.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know. Like it's hard for me to remember what I was like. I, 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 remember, I remember I was intense. Yeah, you were intense. Yeah, no, you don't remember. You didn't know me till I was 39. This is
1: this about? is Casilda K- in the background, yeah, who's Kasilda not on the
0: microphone. Who said she didn't want to? She microphone. was definitely she not going gonna... to say
1: anything. Now she can't stop talking. <laughs> but it sounds like she knows what I'm talking about yeah. a little bit. <laughs> well, she, she thought I was a Maasai warrior. Who knows? But so you've you've mellowed a lot. What I wanted to say is, even right. in those days. Yeah, you were respectful of me, and I was respectful of you. Of course, I loved you, man. How am I not
0: going to be respectful of you?
1: And and you know, I I appreciate that.
0: Although you know, I mean, and and this is a uh, this this isn't totally unrelated. When we were in college together, we were about an hour away, and I used to hitchhike down to Ithaca like yeah. every fucking weekend and hang out. And I that's when I discovered psychedelics. Mm -hmm. You know, and like you've described your your spiritual path and, you know, I was raised with no religion um, and it, you know, I sort of my early teens were marked by a very strong conviction that there was way more to life than what this the worldly world that I was seeing and it was bullshit. And so in that sense, I was with you like in. Like this ain't all there is.
1: Yeah, I remember
0: that. It's um, Very true.
1: You were you were militant.
0: Yeah, um, I, didn't,
1: I didn't know what there was, but I knew. Yeah, it you was didn't know what you this. wanted to be, but you knew what the, you were calling calling bullshit. BS. Right? Yeah, definitely.
0: Right. Um, and then when I discovered uh, psychedelics in college, I felt like uh, a door opened in, and I. it it was a way to understand things and, and have a relationship with reality that was much deeper and broader and mystical, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I remember like more than anything else I wanted, I wanted you to trip with me.
1: I remember that. I remember some letters from you and conversations. God
0: damn. And that was probably as judgmental as I ever got about you.
1: Yeah. But you yeah. still didn't force it. I could tell you weren't happy. I wasn't interested to go there. And it was uh, deeply disappointing to you. And I, I, I could Yeah, tell be,
0: because it was the at that point, I would say it was the most important thing I'd ever discovered. Mm-hmm. And you were my best friend. And like, pff,
1: come on, of course, I wanted you to. You wrote me. You wrote me as much. I remember. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I, mean, I was in a different place. In other of words, course, I, you yeah. know, my my thinking, and to this day, is is uh, you know, I mentioned to the other day that I I took a retreat and went to a monastery for a few days, and when I spent time with these monks who you know make a make a lifetime of, of their effort, I I see something. I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to the look that I see in their eyes. Mm-hmm. That's that's a direction. That's uh, that. I think I might have said similar things to you at that time. That. That's something that is. But see, I've done that. I, I mean, not twenty
0: years in a month, but I've done ten days in absolute silence, mm. vipassana retreat. So I think you know you owe me at least one mushroom trip. <laughs> I've gone in. I've gone down your path, like at least a few steps. So if, that's, if that's to, right. You have to kids. learn. You have to
1: learn Russian first. And then I took a Russian class. Remember, say in something. Say something in Russian.
0: Uh, Dasvedanya. Uh, there was something I I used to know how to say pencil. I don't remember anything. karandash That was a nice word. It sounds Arabic. That word. It's
1: it's actually a ripoff from French. Russian borrows uh, as a language borrows very heavily everything from uh, tritoir, which means uh, uh, curb or pavement, which is the French word for it. Car- Caran d'ache is, is a remember we were talking the other day about brand or no it was today we were talking about brand names that become the actual word like band-aid right? Simon's thing yeah right yeah. so caran d'ache is a, the brand of a pencil it's a, it's either French or Swiss I can't remember anymore uh-huh. and it's the word for oh, really? it's the word for pencil the the word for for a train station is voxel which is just a russian mispronunciation of voxel which is they used to make locomotives you know Uh, so so russian borrows a lot from from what's cool about russian is they borrow from uh you know like uh, english borrows a lot from french right Mm -hmm. but russian borrows equally from east and from west and Mm -hmm. from north and from well there's not much north but south Mm -hmm. so there are you know, Turkic words in, in yeah. Russian and, uh, you know. Uh, what
0: about Chinese? Is there any sort of cross-border stuff happening linguistically with Chinese?
1: Chai. You know, so cha yeah, is, chai uh, is tea, is right? Tea, yeah. That's that's the first one that comes to mind.
0: Next time, next episode, we should talk about your travels. Because one of the things we haven't even touched on yeah, we didn't even is go that there. you and I were like, I'm way ahead of you. What, this is one of the few, <laughs> few areas where you and I have ever been competitive <laughs> was like who's been to more countries. Tomorrow morning. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow morning. No, you do tomorrow morning. You do it tomorrow morning. It tomorrow I'll morning. be fresher than I've been Far for to, this. I'm a little less drunk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've been to more countries than I have. I, I mean, but that's the difference. We were between neck you and, and neck. I've never counted them up, so I don't uh, know. Um, that's wrong, man. You've counted them up. Uh, <laughs> I think I counted just, all right, who slept with more women?
1: <laughs> that's a lot easier. That's, that's a lot easier. We'll leave that to your listeners.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So it's late. We've been doing this for almost two hours. I, I think we can we can roll it up here. Um, so we can yeah, do it again but, sometime. We'll do it like tomorrow morning? <laughs> breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, Cassie and I are about to leave for a month on the road. Mike's going to get all monastic in our apartment here. There's some mushrooms in that drawer right over there, Mike. Um, yeah, yeah, you can uh, you can hit those, and we'll we'll talk about that on the next episode. <laughs> so that's right, ladies and gentlemen. My very best friend has never taken mushrooms or any sort of psychedelic whatsoever. I, what does that mean? And. But he's very mystical. He is a mystical motherfucker. There is no doubt about that. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate Mike. Mike didn't really want to do this, but I talked him into it. I'm (laughs) glad I did. Thank you, man. A
1: pleasure.
2: He said, "Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day." headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal, doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch, why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a bird cage, singing